Thank you for joining us on I Be There. And now your host, Randall Rothenberg. Over to you, Randall. Thank you, John. Hello, everybody. It's Randall Rothenberg. I'm the CEO of the IAB, and this is Thursday, May 7th at 2 p.m., which means it must be time for IAB There. It's our daily live stream in which we connect the digital advertising ecosystem to itself and to the outside world. Our topic for today's show is a look at the Brands for Better campaign and the state of the direct brand economy. Uh, we have two fabulous and uh, actually quite remarkable guests uh, for this. They are the co-founders of the Brands for Better uh, campaign and co-founders of two of the most significant and best known uh, direct brands operating in the United States today. It's Nate Checkets, who is the co-founder and CEO of Roan, a premium men's performance lifestyle company, and Deepa Gandhi. And Deepa is the co-founder and COO of Dagny Dover, a, uh, a bag and handbag company. So welcome, Nate. Welcome, Deepa. Thanks for joining. Wow. Thanks, way, for, thanks for having us. I have a new co-host, the Ed McMahon of uh, <laughs> There is the child. We can talk later on about whether we should refer to him as the child or or baby Yoda. Yeah, a little <laughs> deep controversy. You really it is, it, the pot. It is a little bit controversial. I want to say a little bit more about uh, about each of you because um, you've been pretty important to the uh, to the progress, not just of uh, the uh, what we call the direct brand economy and DTC brands, but but to brands themselves. You're kind of at the forefront of reinventing the way. Uh, consumers think about, access, learn about uh, 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 brands in various categories. So, uh, Nate, you know, Roan was founded six years ago, I think. Yeah, uh, and almost. Been, yeah, going great guns uh, since then. Uh, you have a background in uh, technology and entertainment. I know you're at Cisco, the NFL, FanVision. Uh, Deepa, you also have a, a long background. Uh, you, you, I think, made the uh, the Forbes 30 under 30 uh, six or six, five or six years ago. Um, I did. Yeah. So when I was much younger. Yeah. And you, under 30. You, Deepa, you'd still make it. <laughs> so, now, of course, it's one of the lists that I will never make. So I'm, I'm quite jealous of. Uh, of <laughs> um, you both uh, co-founded the, uh, the Brands for Better campaign. I'd really love to dive right into that because you've gotten, as I recall, about a hundred uh, disruptor brands to gather together to uh, to offer uh, goods and services uh, to the public and to uh, to frontline workers uh, during the uh, the current uh, COVID uh, crisis. Can you tell tell me us uh, the world a little bit more about Brands for Better, what it is, how it came about, and how the two of you connected to make it happen? Yeah. Um, so really it, it just came about the first week as we were kind of going into quarantine. Um, you know, we were seeing, we were seeing every single consumer facing company was dealing with, uh, the challenges of if you have brick and mortar, what are you doing with those stores? If you, um, have employees in those stores, how are you handling those employee situations? What are you going to do if consumer spending really drops 70, 80%, you know, all of the challenges that we were all facing. And I think um, uh, both Roan and Dagny Dover were trying our part in our 
own ecosystem and sphere of influence to have a positive impact on our, you know, our customers, our supply chain, our employees. And, um, and it just started with, you know, some conversations of, well, what if instead of kind of just doing this where we are, what if we combine forces with other great brands that we know and love um, to create this coalition of brands that is trying to, trying to, you know, trying to have an impact to do a couple of things. One, um, because I think we can have a larger impact when we stand together. And two, um, it will hopefully encourage other brands to kind of rise to the call and to do their, to do their own part. And so Mel and Deepa um, are two co-founders that I've known uh, for probably three or so years now. Um, I don't know if I'm supposed to disclose this, but I'm a very proud angel investor in uh, Dagny Dover, like teeny, teeny, tiny. They were nice enough to let me in. And that's how the two of you know each other. Well, we met we met on a panel and they were raising around and I I knew that my wife was a massive fan and then they were launching their men's stuff and I was a fan of that and I just said I I want to be a part of this will you you know will you guys let me on the cap table in some small small way so um, fun fact fun fact around that that Nate probably wouldn't say which I since we're talking about this is he actually gifted his angel investment to his wife Dana for Mother's Day that year. Oh, that is Which is really, really fantastic. She is a wonderful woman from everything I know. Wonderful. That is true. So, um, so we, we love, we love that brand. And they were one of the first few um, uh, companies that, you know, were part of these conversations and they're uh, the Dagny Dover team built the site um, and has been helpful at adding additional brands. And um, yeah, you know, it's raised over two and a half million uh, in terms of impact to COVID nineteen related nonprofits, hmm. where uh, where are the other brands coming from, and, and are they are they solely uh, DTC brands, or are there incumbent brands, store based brands that are uh, that are part of the network as well? Diva, you want to you want to take that? Yes, I'm happy to take that one. So, in terms of um, when we launched, we launched with a little under 30 brands and majority of those came from our own connections, right? Like-minded brands where we know the founders, we know the teams, and we thought that there would be a lot of openness to this idea of giving back and doing better together. And so we started there, but then soon after actually launching and um, actually the Roan team took on a lot of like the press, the PR, the telling of the story of Brands for Better. So after a lot of that came through, we started to get a massive influx of just people applying and most of them are smaller businesses, smaller brands, some direct to consumers, some larger brands, um, like a bonobo came in through just kind of learning that we were doing this. And so um, it really was, in the end we decided like, let's let everybody be part of this because the goal here is to give back, right? It's not about necessarily, we're gonna get X amount of revenue because we're part of this. It's about how much can we as, a, as an entire entity and a coalition give back to our community. And so the majority are direct to consumer, I'd say in one way or the other, right? Because they're either just a new brand, which means you start on e-commerce, right? Or um, they're a kind of longstanding five to call it 10 year old um, digitally native brand. And that's really where we've seen the biggest impact. And I think across the industry, it's where you see people really focusing on purpose, right? I think a lot of the brands that we first reached out to and that eventually joined this, they have purpose woven into their entire mission as a brand and what they do and what they care about. So joining something like Brands for Better is just um, 
is just in line with what they already believe in and what their brand ethos is. So it's a very, it's a very, very strong alignment. I want to pursue that, that line of inquiry a bit because um, as you know, because this is partly how we met, IEV has been doing uh, uh, deep dive research into brand disruption for several years. And one of the the early uh, facts that leapt out at us as we uh, began to look at DTC brands or digitally native brands as a cohort is how many are actually founded with a basis in mission. That it's not something that was grafted on afterwards. It's something that was uh, kind of intrinsic to the founding of the brand. Now, it, and even if the brand is a fashion brand or a food brand or kind of a, you know, a, a conventional category, mission is still part of what you brought to it at the beginning. Why do you think that is? And how do you think mission uh, affects the way you think about the founding of a company, the growth of a company and the work of a company itself? Nate, does that resonate? Yeah, I mean, it's it's very fundamental, I think, to, you know, part of this disruption. I mean, certainly e-commerce and the channel distribution um, has led to a natural disruption here. But both Deep and I were raised in this world, you know, going to business school, going to, you know, going to um, undergrad where you're taught a business has one goal, and that is to maximize shareholder value. Right. And that has been a longstanding, you know, CEO, that's your job. You are to maximize shareholder value. And I think the challenge is, is that with that line of thinking, you know, especially in a publicly traded company where the average CEO might be, you know, be there for two and a half years, you are almost naturally incentivized to focus on the short term. How do we cut costs? How do we squeeze out profits to just kind of maximize shareholder value? But truthfully, Maximizing shareholder value depends on the time frame with which you're looking at. You know what what's the size of your lens, so to speak. And I think that um, you know there's there's just I have I have so many thoughts on this one topic, so I'm going to try and consolidate them. But you know, for me, the most important thing is maximizing shareholder value. Just isn't about what are what does my EBITDA look like for this year. It's about how can we build a brand that has long term value and can repeatedly drive value. And in order to do that, um, you have to take care of people. You have to take care of your suppliers to build a long-term supply chain. You have to take care of your employees who will stay with you and not leave when times get difficult or hard, or, you know, there's just a simply better offer on the table. You have to take care of your customers. And and so we say all the time, we are long-term relationship people. That's how we view the world. And I think part of Part of what's also driving this is we live in a much more transparent world. You can't, you can't be a bad guy anymore and get away with it in the long run. Because now if I want to reference check somebody, I can go to LinkedIn, I can go to Facebook, I can find 10 people that know or have worked with this person. And I can say, hey, what was your experience working with this individual? And if the experience was really awful, I'm going to find that out pretty quickly. So the idea, and it's the same thing with companies. If companies mistreat customers, if they mistreat suppliers, um, that's going to that's gonna be found out much more quickly. So there's this great natural incentivization to do good, to do right. And I think, um, I think for a lot of brands, that's very important and fundamental to the way that they approach the world. Yeah, the, 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 I agree with you completely that, that what, what tends to get missed um, is 
that uh, say something like consumer reviews on a uh, whether it's on an Amazon or your own site or some third party site, you know, people will look at that and say, oh yeah, consumer re reviews, that's interesting. But they don't take a, that hundred foot step back and say how radically different this is from the history of media and marketing. That there's kind of a democratic transparency that means everything you do, everything you say, your product quality, the way you converse with your customer base is uh, is is completely open for view. And uh, and I, I, I'm sure I'm one of millions of people who chooses hotels for business travel on the basis of pretty deep exploration of uh, TripAdvisor uh, reports. And I'm imagining it's the same with your companies as well, that uh, you just can't get away with anything. So you got to kind of aim for the high road on everything you do. That, uh, deeper, even in the, in, in, is that true? Because I think what, what I'm worried about is that somebody will come back to me and say, Oh come on! It's a men's performance lifestyle company, or it's a it's a it's a bag company. Yeah, you know, how much attention do people really pay to mission? Do they? Oh, they. I think people care more than ever, and I think one positive output of the world that we're in today is people are going to care even more. What we have found fascinating since kind of quarantine life and stay at home has started, and right seeing all the massive impacts that it's having to businesses, whether it's people being laid off furloughed, right? Entire businesses having to consider bankruptcy and things like that. Our customers are straight up asking us, have you had to lay anybody off? Have you had to furlough anybody? What are you doing for your team? Like they're very specifically asking us even that, or they're like, how are you dealing with this? How are you dealing with that? And we're very transparent. So we're like, this is what we've done. And the response has been, we've luckily not had to lay anybody off. Um, or furlough anybody, but we also work really hard to build a team and manage our business financially so that that was a priority over potentially some other things that other business leaders might have chosen to do. Um, we're very open and and the customer responds and then their response is, well, that's why I shop with you, right? It's that. Or I think for us, from the time we started Dagny, and for me personally, I had started my, started my career in finance on a trading floor. Um, at Lehman Brothers, which was a fascinating experience. Um, and then I went and worked in traditional retail and then I went to business school. And huh. both of those environments are, to be frank, relatively toxic. There's a lot of, um, there's a lot of, a lot of communication that's done with anger, right? If you're not performing, something doesn't work. There's, I, like I came from two environments where screaming and yelling was actually okay. Mm -hmm. And whether it was to the team that you worked with to your vendors, to your suppliers, to your partners. And coming into the position where I was like, wait, I'm a founder now. I get to reset what this yeah. is and what the language that we use is. And we said, we're gonna be nicer people, right? We're gonna be nice to our vendors. We're going to be nice to our investors. We're gonna be nice to the people that come and, you know, come and work for us. And seven years later, people appreciate it and customers feel it and they know that. And we continuously get even outside of this time period, this time period, we continuously hear this from our customers, and they're like, "I continue to shop with you because I know that you you do good things and you do things like that." And you know, very recently, we were talking to one of our um, wholesale partners, our one of the retailers we work with, and at the end of the call, the buyers are just you know, they're like, "You guys are so great, thank you so much." You know, you've been so wonderful through what's a really tough time, and we all got off the call and we're like we feel bad that not everybody treats them that way. Cause you know, from our perspective, wholesale is a really small portion of our business. So 
But for them, this is like decimated their business, right? Because they've had to close all their stores. So yeah, it's not on us to be upset. It's for us to say, okay, we get what's going on. We still care about the long-term partnership. So we're going to be there for you. And they've been there for us in the past, right? And I think that give and take um, is extremely important. And it does pay dividends in the end. And I think, you know, the investors we brought on were people that we actually said, this is how we approach things. We're nice to our vendors. We don't just chase the cheapest needle. Like we have found factory partners that invested in us early on when we were like, hey, I would like to place a 10,000 mm. unit order because their hope was that eventually we'd be placing million unit orders, right? And vice versa, like it's just, it's not about the lowest cost. It's about lifetime value, which is driven by loyalty. And it's just a different lens. Um, and I still have conversations often with um, friends from like traditional retail, for example, or more traditional brands. And they're trying to now figure it out and catch up to where I think brands like Roan and Dagny and other brands are. But I think we just, we, we came to it with a different mentality and we had well, different priorities. And a, different, and, and a, and a, a, a physically different form of linkage to your end customer as well. Exactly. So, so in effect, your relationship with your end customer in so many cases is, a com is an ongoing conversation, a literal physical conversation. And so that just changes the nature of relationships. I, I want to pursue something a, a little bit more about brands for better and 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 mission. Um, I got a question from an old friend uh, of you know, several decades standing the other day, uh, who's working for a retail trade publication, and was asking if I thought uh, whether the uh, uh, direct to consumer economy, especially in light of the supply chain changes that inevitably are going to take place as a result of this crisis, whether, um, uh, whether we see a, uh, an increase of more local activity. In other words, can your companies be part of a revitalization of local economies in the United States? And I'm wondering, you know, we talked a little bit when, uh, when we did our uh, town, town hall a couple of weeks ago about um, uh, uh, supply chain resiliency, and looking at uh, new sources of supply. I'm wondering if in either of your companies, either in Roan or Dagny, um, whether you are looking more locally at supply partners as, and whether that, is, whether that kind of is consistent with your uh, basis and mission. Nate? Is there, yeah, I, so again, I think what you said is so important about you know, there are, there are great companies that have existed long before us. And just because companies are new and relatively recent, you know, there are, <laughs> there are recent examples of digitally native brands who have not done the right thing or who have not been mission driven, but we have the benefit of having a different level of communication with our customer, which puts us at an advantage. And one of the strong pieces of feedback that has come through is exactly what you're talking about, which is strengthening local suppliers, strengthening um, you know, kind of local communities. And, uh, and I'm really, really hopeful that, you know, part of the mission of these digitally native brands can in be inclusive of that. It is a gigantic challenge, um, you know, for, for brands. I can speak on the apparel side, for example, we make very highly technical performance driven clothing. Right. And when we started, I brought, you know, with it, a strong bias to be manufacturing in the USA. That's what, you know, I, I, I love the country that uh, I was raised in, that I care about. And, you know, this is, this is an amazing country that we live in. And if we can strengthen our 
supply base, I wanted to do that. But as we met with four of the largest apparel manufacturing companies in the US, it was very clear they did not have the technical manufacturing capability on clothing that we needed to meet our tech packs. So we offered to lease equipment to bring it in. They, they didn't have the capability to operate that equipment. Hmm. And so there, you know, there are inherent challenges. It's not simply about companies making decisions to say, okay, I want to produce locally. Therefore I'm going to lose, you know, a couple bips in margin to shift. Um, you know, there are real, over decades, real technical gaps that have uh, resulted about uh, manufacturing just existing largely outside of the US. I hope that that will start to shift and change. Um, there's a lot of good reasons to do that. Not only is it better for our planet because you're not shifting fabric to one manufacturer to then shift it, ship it to the US to then ship it to an end customer. Um, but you know, it's, it's just nice to be able to do things uh, locally. Um, I think the other important thing is just, you know, technically we are all of these amazing brands that have built up are in a fight with um, these lowest common denominating shop shopping platforms. We know that as mass retail has grown, it has destroyed Main Street America. Now we have this beautiful new digital Main Street and it's not necessarily locally based, but it is interest based. And my hope is that that doesn't get destroyed as people shift their spending patterns to lowest common denominating uh, shopping platforms. Yeah, it, you know, that, that raises a very important and interesting question about marketing and communications, I think. And again, we discussed this a little bit on the uh, town hall two weeks ago. Um, but how are you, this, this crisis, before I ask the question, the, the, the crisis, uh, from a uh, uh, from an advertising and marketing standpoint, kind of cuts many different ways. You know, on the one hand, um, it's hard for people to think about anything else. On the other hand, they're sitting at home in a lot of cases, spending a lot of time in front of screens, and prices for advertising have plummeted. Um, are you finding opportunities to market yourselves in a more effective way so uh, consumers? come directly to you rather than to uh, to third parties like an Amazon or another? I mean, how are you how are you navigating the uh, the marketing communication side of the uh, of the crisis? Deepa? Yeah, um, I think it's a fascinating time because we there are certain conversations that people actually are willing to have more. I think the one thing that we're finding is really fantastic is um, utilizing the social platforms to find new ways to connect with customers, right? So obviously digital advertising, you know, we have a heavy Facebook, Instagram presence when it comes to that, but how can you use IG Live, right? To connect with maybe another brand or an influencer and tell a story and talk to your customers and build that way. I think the one great thing about people being at home is and being in front of screens more is they want to ingest more content. They want to hear more. They, they are just digesting more than they did. And so it's allowing us to produce other content that's, you know, maybe a little different than what our normal marketing communications and you know, um, campaigns would be, but ones that are a little more focused on who's Dagny, who actually represents the Dagny team and get to know us a little bit better. And we've actually found that this openness that, um, that we've been pushed towards and we're really loving it internally. We're really like everybody's very passionate about creating this content and finding these avenues of communication, whether it's through a podcast or 
through a video chat or through an IG live um, kind of situation or an Instagram takeover for somebody else. But it's, it's fun and other people really respond. They like to actually see the inner workings. They like to see who the people are behind what you're creating. And it's, um, it's, really fantastic and I think for a while there we were a little oversaturated but with like a pay-to-play mentality right um and I think we're now going back to what are these organic channels that you can focus on and really foster and develop so that you actually are finding a way to create a real connection with somebody because those real connections is what helped us all really launch our brands and being able to kind of reinvigorate some of those connections has been um, fantastic and really interesting because it's, it's really it's truly organic and organic is the highest CLV platform out there. Hmm. Nate, I know you told Digiday uh, in late April that you were exploring lots of channels and, and uh, kind of adjusting on almost a week by week basis. What have you been discovering uh, in terms of uh, effectiveness of, uh, of different channels during this, uh, this strange period of time? So I think uh, I think a lot of uh, a lot of folks, you know, similar to the stock market, when we started seeing, you know, the impact of COVID-19, the stock market was decimated, but kind of without respect to whatever the business was. And then as it's recovered, it's like, wait, this is a business that's going to do better. You know, take take a Peloton, for example, they're going to succeed in an environment like this. And I think advertisers took a similar approach to advertising channels, it was, you know, panic, fear, immediately turn off the spigot, don't spend. And, um, and yet what we've seen is there are channels that are working, um, almost all channels, by the way, are working arguably better than they did three months ago in terms of, um, in terms of getting, you know, directing people to, uh, to your site. And now conversion is down, I think across most categories because consumer spending is down so significantly. But if you uh, if you have really good attribution models and you understand um, you know you understand kind of your inner working mechanics on uh, on measurement, you can really this is an opportunity to acquire customers in a way that you simply haven't been able to over the last three years. You know, I heard somebody say this is a once in a generation opportunity to acquire new customers. I think that's an overstatement um, personally, but I do think there is. I do think there's a unique opportunity right now, um, and in terms of uh, in terms of advertising. What are the what are the tricks of the trade, though? Without asking you to give away any any uh, new trade secrets, um, what have you found uh, works in that regard? Uh, you know, I could, uh, you know, Deepa mentioned um, uh, using organic social, uh, which is you know kind of a great evergreen there. Um, but what about there's been an extraordinary rise in the viewership of um, kind of longer tail streaming and OTT networks. I wonder about that. I wonder about um, uh, is this now Instagram's game to kind of own it all? What, what, what are you finding is actually working for customer acquisition right now? Yeah. So, I mean, we do keep a lot of kind of our what our attribution is working for us, you know, somewhat confidential. But I will say that mid to lower funnel is uh is you know is really working very very well for us right now um and so kind of you know building brand loyalty with our existing customer base and monetizing our existing customer base which is pretty robust has has uh, done really well top of funnel is like still a game of darts because Mm. um you know 
I think the challenge is, is while there is some opportunity from an advertising and more people are glued to screens, they're more glued to screens. So they're seeing everything. And, um, and so there's, you know, there's just kind of, there's, uh, I think, I think people are getting tired, exhausted from some of that top of funnel advertising that's not working as effectively, but OTT is a really interesting play right now because you can target in ways that you just couldn't mm -hmm. three to four years ago. So we are seeing some success with some of the kind of the hyper-targeted OTT models and, you know, I have to give a shout out to Hulu um, mm -hmm. and Michaela, who we work with over there, who's phenomenal. We love Michaela and we love Hulu and we've been working with them. I, I, you know, they're, they're great members of ours. And uh, when she uh, she kind of specifically entered our lives, uh, it was a, a big difference maker. So thank you for that on uh, of their, their behalf. Yeah, Deepa. If I, if I could actually just jump in on this in terms of fun, similar to Nate and the own team, we like to keep our attribution and really what's working close to the best. But, um, I think the big thing we've found, we're finding is same thing, mid lower funnel, right? Like much more like focused intent based type of activity is working really well, but most channels are working for us. And some channels are working much better. And what we're finding is it's, it's all about the message, mm -hmm. right? So like a message that might've worked six months ago, isn't working today, but a revamped message that maybe focuses on what somebody's going through, like the life that they live, specific demographics or whatnot, that is really working. And um, I think the, like our team has been really nimble in continuously adjusting during this time as we see, oh, wow, people are responding to this. Oh, of course they are, because that's a product that maybe wasn't as relevant when you're you know, traveling the world, but it's super relevant when you're running out to just go to the grocery store, for example. Mm -hmm. And being able to shift that and being able to like ebb and flow based on how, like what, what our sales are telling us in terms of how our customer preferences might have shifted in terms of what best sellers are. Um, I think that has been really interesting and, you know, kind of like using the data and listening to how people are um, saying, I still love your brands. I still want to shop you, but what I need from you now is very different than what I needed from you maybe six months ago or a year ago. And I think that's, that's what's been most fascinating to us is, um, the adjusting that we've done right. and then the fact that there's been a really great ROI against that those yeah. adjustments. Really interesting because that means it's kind of like the uh, the, the political war room aspect of, of just the the daily or hourly uh, ebb and flow of message plus media channel plus product plus uh, 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 plus servicing uh, and now plus social. It's almost this, this this complex interweaving that's taking place on a on an hourly basis. Looking towards the future, I think you're both in in uh, in wholesale as well, right? Uh, yeah. So uh, I'm wondering how you're looking at the future of your companies and uh, and disruptor brands broadly. Um, there had been this gradual move over the past several years for digitally native brands to start expanding into, uh, into brick and mortar, either through wholesale, wholesale partners or on their own. Um, stores are closing by the hundreds of thousands. Um, the re-entry to physical shopping uh, will be different in different places across the country, probably will be slow and gradual. How are you viewing the, your future uh, and the cohort's future uh, relative to that balance between uh, digital shopping, digital distribution, 
versus wholesale and brick and mortar. Nate, wh wh where are you looking at this landed? Yeah, I mean, I think we have the benefit, our brands have the benefit of being primarily weighted in e-com, um, which is allowing us to weather this. We have five stores. We um, we certainly have a large number of wholesale partners, but thankfully we're talking about, you know, less than 20% of our business being in, uh, in kind of physical brick and mortar. Hmm. And so, um, so there's, there's exposure there. There's real inventory exposure. Um, but it is, you know, because especially on the wholesale side, you know, you're using twice the amount of inventory to effectively accumulate the same dollar. Um, so just from the inventory aging, I think there's going to be a huge challenge and you're going to start to see this flooding of the market of discounted promotional inventory as a way to kind of have this cash up for this period, because even in our worst scenario planning, we've never assumed any channel is going to go to a zero for a prolonged period of time. And what you're talking about with brick and mortar is that not only is it at a, is it, is it at a zero for, you know, call it two plus months, it's not going to, it's not going to be this, you know, proverbial light switch that you can flip back on. There's going to be some acceleration of online transactions in a way that I don't think any of us anticipated. Um, and so we're trying to be creative and give reasons to, and, and get ahead, you know, both with our wholesale partners and with our own brick and mortar, give reasons for people to come back in and have a physical shopping experience. I love physical retail. I've fallen in love with it, you know, having done it. And I think that there's still absolutely a place for it um, to be done well and right. But I do think we're going to see a shift away from some of these giant indoor shopping centers. I think street will continue to have a place um, and some really great shopping centers like a Hudson Yards mm -hmm. um, where, where we're at. But, um, you know, I think, I think the traditional legacy indoor mall like this, this could be the nail in the coffin that has been hovering for some time. Yeah. Uh, Deepa, you're also, um, you're not overweighted on, uh, on wholesale. You're underweighted on it, but you're still doing it. How are you viewing the future for Dagny? Very similar to everything Nate just said. It's um, we are we we've used wholesale as a really great, to be frank, customer acquisition channel for us. We we from the beginning really viewed it as not a revenue generating channel, more as a way for us to introduce ourselves to shoppers and to customers that would want to know about Dagny. And as a result, that means that it's limited for us, we're talking about under 15% of our revenue, right? So we're able to kind of ebb and flow. Um, we've also been very selective around who we work with, right? For us, when we've had a lot, a lot of wholesalers have come to us over the years and said, we'd love to carry your product, but we've always worked with who we believe are the best of the best, the most innovative within their verticals. And as a result, as much as they're getting hit very hard right now, we do believe that the partners we have are going to survive this because they have continuously been ahead of the curve. They think about the world and customer acquisition and retention in a similar way to the way that we do. We always, for us, the core values check is extremely important to us when we're deciding to actually work with a retailer. And if we don't have that check, then we actually choose to not work with them no matter how big the opportunity could be. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so as a result, we think of it as like a temporary pause, but it's really also pushing us to think about, well, what are other new opportunities for distribution or for partnerships that could mimic the same overall brand awareness and brand magnification impact that some of these wholesale partners have had for, had with us, had for us. Great. Well, well, thank you. I want to thank you both um, for coming on to IAB there. Nate Checkett, co-founder of Roan, uh, Deepa Gandhi, co-founder of Dagny Dover. Uh, 
This has been a fantastic conversation. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for joining Thank us you, for Randall. the council too. Thank and, you uh, for having we us. We have a lot more to talk about, you know, heading into the future. So we'll be back in touch uh, very shortly with you. Um, I want to say thank you to our audience for joining IAB There. Uh, our next IAB There is going to be on Monday. I've taken the uh, CEO's prerogative and decided to close the IAB tomorrow to give the entire team a mental health day to uh, clean their kitchens, uh, play with their kids, and just uh, not think about work for a day. So we'll be back on Monday. Uh, with uh, Jen Willie, the founder and chief executive officer of Wet Cement. Uh, and we'll be talking with her about the importance of fearlessness at work. Ivy There is a production of the Interactive Advertising Bureau. Our show today was produced by Connor Healy, Joe Ounce, John Ward, and Twafika Mohenuddin. I'm Randall Rothenberg, and this is my sidekick, The Child. Thanks for watching. Come back next week. Because if it's 2 p.m. Eastern time on a weekday, you know it's time to be IAB there. <laughs>